Welcome to Talking Taker. My name is Alex Dorio, alongside my tag team partner, Travis White. How you doing, Travis? How are you? I'm uh, doing great, man. Doing great. First episode. Here it is. Episode number one. Yes. Volume one. Volume Edition one. one. Edition one. The prequel. Wait. This is, no. No? Okay. That's the, one, that's the one we just tried to record. Oh, yeah. That's right. That's right. Uh, uh, version two right here. Yeah. Uh, this is the encyclopedic exploration or uh, maybe obituary for uh, the career of the dead man, the legend, the phenom, arguably the greatest WWE performer, superstar of all time, The Undertaker. This podcast is going to be a match-by-match exploration uh, through his pay-per-view career. We're not going to do every Undertaker match because we'd be here for all eternity, but uh, the I mean, we, we wanted to do a match-by-match podcast exploration through the pay-per-view career of The Undertaker, because that seemed like a unique idea that had never been done before. We're just a couple of wrestling fans. We're not insiders or anything like that. We don't have any backstage gossip or dirt or any anything extra on his career. We're just a couple of fans that have been following wrestling for most of our 31 years here on the earth, and uh, we thought it'd be fun to, to look back on one superstar's career who really has charted, you know, the, through through most of our fandom, through most of our, our lifetime. And it seemed fitting just as he'd retired, too. He's just retired this year, WrestleMania 33. Is that the one this year? 33? Yeah, 33. <laughs> Sorry. Yeah. It gets all washed together now when you're looking back on his career. But, uh, yeah, it just seemed like an idea that ha- had never really been done before, right? Right, and I mean, we were, when he debuted in the 90s, we were four years old. So, I mean, he's been in our lives more than most of our friends. So, you know, uh, this is some, something cool. And I would never say that Undertaker's my favorite wrestler of all time, or I don't think you would either. But um, he's definitely one of the most iconic men, and especially one of the best big men of all time. And so, it's just a unique idea that you had, and we're just going to try it out. And, you know, I think it'd be fun to go by his matches and just talk about them. There are some five stars and there are some negative five stars so yeah, absolutely it'll be fun and interesting yeah i wouldn't exactly call myself a creature of the night or, or anything like that but uh you know i've i do i have always appreciated I myself that. <laughs> i've always appreciated the undertaker i mean and he's i would say absolutely. he I, I am a fan of his and, and he's always been a big part i, I think he you know he's never been the most the greatest technical wrestler or, or performer or anything like that but he is part of why you love wrestling if you're a wrestling fan it's it's hard to not love the undertaker he is all of the entertainment aspects of wrestling at its best uh and you know especially in his later years i think he really exemplified he he became a much better technical wrestler and a much better performer yeah the last decade since like 2006 he and angle i mean ever since then he just been a phenomenal in-ring competitor but he's and stone cold says he's vincent man's greatest creation you know like Vader's yeah. greatest character creation and i think he is man because even i'm watching from his debut i just watched back yesterday uh he was all in yeah all in on the character you know and whether he was that or he was the american ba or he was booger red or the <laughs> dead man walking or you know uh mohawk taker it doesn't matter he was all in so Right, and I, and I think somehow, yet yeah, he's even still like underrated in a lot of ways uh, exactly. because you know, you take for granted 
just how incredible a performer he was and how into his character he it just seemed like it came so naturally for him but you know as we go through this over the next you know however long it takes us but over the next 27 years years, (laughs) of his career uh you will see or i think we will see and everyone listening will see just uh you know how special uh, and how unique he was and all the different people i I think that would be one of the cool things doing this too because he's passed through so many eras uh, you know, he, he started in, at the Hogan era, whatever you call that, the original Federation years, rock and wrestling, rock and wrestling yeah. yeah, towards the tail end of that. Then he goes into the, he's a big part of the new generation, he's a huge part of the Attitude era, the Ruthless Aggression, uh, whatever you call the mid 2000, late 2000 PG era, um, ECW, ECW, WWE era, yeah. Yeah, he was in that, PG era, had a match yeah, on whatever that. Whatever they call it now, the new... The new, new generation? I don't know what they call it now. The reality era? The reality yeah. era. Uh, yeah, whatever you want to call it. I and mean, he's been, you know, you, you look at a career of, like, take Stone Cold Steve Austin or The Rock, you know, legends and icons. But really, I mean, Steve Austin's run on top was four or five years. And The Rock was just about the same, too. And The Undertaker, pretty consistently uh, over 25 uh, 27 years, you know, has been riding up near the top. Has been a huge part of that, and you just, you've never, there's never been anybody with that sort of longevity before. Oh, absolutely, it's crazy. It's crazy when you compare him to even Hogan, or you know, only the person that's been that even comes close to Taker is John Cena, and he's not even there yet, you know, as far as being on top the whole time. So yeah, yeah, it's crazy. Yeah, absolutely. Well, you know, like I said, we, we, we're just a couple of fans. We've just been watching wrestling for a long time. So, like, we don't have any – we're not going to give you any backstage scoops or gossip. I mean, we might talk about some of the, you know, the rumors that you read online or stories that you hear, stuff we've heard in podcasts and stuff. But we're just going to talk about our impressions and what it's like as a fan and what we notice uh, as fans and what we've developed over the years, opinions and stuff like that. So uh, – you know, we've known each other for what almost almost twenty years at, at this point. Yeah. Since sixth grade, and I think one of the first things that connected us was uh, a, a appreciation of wrestling. That was right at the peak of the Attitude Era. But Travis, what are your uh, what are your first memories as a wrestling fan? How did you get into wrestling? Before we start talking about the Undertaker himself, just what are yeah. your initial so, memories? So I think I just accidentally happened upon it when I was little, you know, four, five, six years old, just on a Saturday night, WCW, because, you know, we're from Georgia, so that's WCW country, um, and I just happened upon it. I saw this guy with bleach blonde hair and bright face paint and uh, going, woo, and he was just awesome, and it was Sting. I was just captivated as a little five-year-old, and um, I didn't, you know, know that it came on every Saturday night or, you know, watch it, and um, I watched a few episodes, saw him and Ric Flair, I remember, and Ricky Steamboat, and um, they were just, they were really cool. And, but then, you know, I was five or six. And so, you know, Mario was cooler than wrestling was. So I just never watched it. My bro, my big brother wasn't interested really. So I didn't have him to watch it with, with or anything. So, you know, I just kind of fell away from it for a few years. But I remember, you know, flipping through the channels as you, you know, watch TV after, after your homework's done. And I remember flipping on a Monday night and seeing Raw and seeing this guy, this dead man, um, and I remember he reminded me of Gravedigger, which was a, uh, a um, <laughs> uh, what do you call it? Monster truck. Monster truck, yeah. For some reason, I love 
monster trucks. Uh, oh, I love yeah. Grave Digger. I didn't even care about monster trucks. Grave Digger was cool. That was a cool uh, gimmick. And uh, I saw Undertaker, and I was like, this guy's like Grave Digger, but he's real. And uh, and it was just kind of cool. But again, I didn't really follow WWE much. I just kind of fell away from it. And then it probably wasn't until you and I met uh, in 97, 96, 97. Yeah, that'd be 97, um, yeah. 97, I think, yeah, in sixth grade, and you uh, you and all our buddies were, you know, we were all meeting each other the first time, and I mean, I think you had the Rules and Bones Are Meant to Be Broken shirt on. NWO. NWO. And, uh, I definitely had that one. <laughs> yeah, too, too sweet, me brother. And uh, I think we just started talking wrestling, and I got back into it, and so Hogan had already turned heel, and the NWO had already formed, and I was kind of familiar with it, but I had to rent a lot of videotapes and video to go to catch back up to 97, <laughs> so to get in with everybody, but um, you know, and Sting, it was no longer uh, blonde hair and face paint. He had mm. long black hair right. and uh, looked like the crow, Eric Draven. So, uh, which I thought of that movie, so I thought Sting was even cooler now. So, anyway, <laughs> about '97, and then I found out Monday Night Raw was on and Nitro was on, and it was the greatest time in wrestling ever. So, uh, that's my tweet. Well, it's supposed to be a tweet story, but that's how I fell into it. So, all because of you, I came back into it and. Haven't stopped, and I don't know. It's an obsession for sure. But how about you, man? It's definitely an obsession. Uh, I I was about the same age, so I was like, I guess I was five. Uh, I remember pretty vividly. Um, I remember just the Saturday morning, just flipping through the channels, uh, looking for cartoons, because you know back then you just, you didn't remember what channel anything was on. You just knew it. <laughs> there was no Cartoon Network either. There's no Cartoon Network. There was yeah. no like guide to like look through no. the channels, so you just had to go find the cartoons in the morning. And I remember, yeah, I remember stumbling across wrestling. It was WWF, uh, but I think I'm, I'm I'm pretty sure it was Hulk Hogan, and uh, I remember hearing Vince McMahon's voice for the first time that ah, Hulk Hogan uh, superstars of wrestling just like that deep growl and I thought what in the world is this uh, I, I thought he said his name was Vince McMonster because like he had a voice like a monster I was like what is, what is this so uh, I asked my parents you know what is this and they said oh that's that's wrestling that's stupid you don't want to watch that that's the dumbest thing uh, but I remember it. I was like, I do want to watch this. This looks awesome. <laughs> I don't know what it, it's like—a real life cartoon. Uh, yeah. So I, heroes, man, come to life. Yeah, yeah. So I like looked at the clock and I saw it was you know ten o'clock or eleven o'clock, whatever time it was. And Saturday morning, I said, okay, you know, I'm changing the channel now. But next Saturday, I gotta remember ten o'clock. I gotta <laughs> that, that's when this show comes on. I gotta come find it again. So it, I don't know if it was the week after or the next week, but. Uh, I got I was up before my parents or whatever or they weren't in the room so I remembered oh yeah this is the time that wrestling comes on so I had to go find that and pretty much ever since then man I haven't stopped trying to find it wherever it's on wherever it was I, I was watching it all the time started renting videos from the video store uh, so it would have been this would have been like 1991 so it would have been right after Undertaker debuted and uh, I I don't remember the first time I ever saw him, but I, I definitely remember him right. being one of those larger-than-life characters and one of the things that just hooks you. I, I do remember him being around and uh, with the gray gloves and, and, and the big trench coat and hat. And Paul Bearer, of course, was, was a huge, huge part of that. Oh, man. You know, he... And the stagecoach. Yes. Man, the stagecoach and the vulture stuff. That was captivated me. I don't remember how old I was when that, but it's just like... This guy's like a real superhero, like villain almost. It's just, yeah. And when you're six or seven, like 
superheroes are awesome. You know, they're in comic books, but now they're on your TV screen. It's awesome. Yep, yep. Uh, it just, you know, it, it, yeah, like you said, I've, I've never stopped watching. I never fell out of it. it uh, uh, from, I think I went to my first house show, first live show, 1993, Augusta, Richmond County Civic Center. and uh, the one with the turtles? Oh, one with the turtles, the toxic turtles wait, on there. Can't wait, wait to watch that DVD. again on DVD. Yep. Uh, and yeah, yeah, Undertaker's always been a part of it and uh, always been a big reason why I've been a fan. Like, I, th- I remember imitating him and imitating Paul Bear and all that sort of stuff. You dress up as him, play around, and all sorts of stuff. So, I think it'll be really cool to look back through his career. And you, you talked about written videos, you know, as we get to his debut match right here at Survivor Series 1990, I think. I rented this video almost more than any other video at uh, at oh, yeah? our local video store. Video to go. Oh yeah, yeah. They had the big wrestling section there. Uh, That's awesome. Oh yeah, over in the corner. That that was the pre. That was that was my WWE network growing yeah. up. Was the video to go wrestling section. Uh, and this one, I remember, it was in like the big box, uh, like the big VHS box, not the clamshell one that you would open oh, up, yeah. but it was like. It had like extra room on the side of the box case, uh, kind of like when you buy CDs back then, and they would be yeah, like in the giant, giant case, package. Yeah. yeah, this was a VHS. Giant case up to the counter and ask him to take this little square out for you. What? <laughs> uh, yeah, I remember the big box for VHS. Those were awesome. Yeah, yeah, and there were a few WWF ones like that, but Vertigo would have the five for five for five, five movies, five nights, five dollars, and can't beat what that. A steal. Yeah, that's better value than WWE Network. Exactly. <laughs> Not really. <laughs> Not really. They were, like, they were like three months later too, and now we get them the next day, or actually as they're filming. Yeah, as but, as they yeah. happen. I know uh, what you're saying though. Yep. So, so you rented this one more than anything else you think? I do, man. I loved this show. There's something about Survivor Series. You know, it's it's oh, different yeah. now. You know, they still obviously they still do Survivor Series, but it's just it hasn't felt like a big deal really for a long, long time. But but back then, you know, you would watch wrestling once or twice a week, and it was all squash matches. It was all you, you get one big main event with somebody like uh, Bret Hart. Not the champion. No, not the champion. No, never the champion. No, but you'd get like Bret Hart versus Nasty Boy Knobs or something like that, and then you'd have. Uh, Six other matches is just guys squash matches against jobbers, but Survivor Series, even more than any other pay per view, you got all stars and they're all interacting. Avengers, man, yeah, teaming up. Yeah, Avengers, perfect, perfect description. Uh, and they're all you get like Avengers versus X Men. It's awesome. Yeah, and and they're facing all sorts of different people and different combinations and different matchups. And plus, you know. Eight-man tags, ten-man tags, those are always just fun. It's hard to mess one of those yeah. matches up. They're more fun to watch than anything else, probably, just because there's that many more people in the ring. It's like Stone Cold says he loves tag team wrestling more than anything because you had four more, you had three more guys to, or two more guys in the ring, plus the referee. You got all kind of people in the ring. And, yeah, eight-man, ten-man. And this show, Survivor Series 90, was cool because at the end, they had all the survivors from their previous matches for a lot the ultimate survivor which i was i forgot about that until i was watching yesterday i was like man they should do that nowadays because that's so cool yeah i show it it makes it raises the stakes for you want to win that match and you want to go to the i don't remember what the achievement was when you won the last match but it was just still cool 
a cool story to tell throughout the whole show. So I loved that as a kid, and I never could understand why they never did that again. Uh, I just listened to. Sorry, I just listened to Bruce Pritchard's podcast about this show, and he talked about hating that gimmick because he like he thought there should just be one sole survivor, and that should be the main thing. So we always thought that was stupid. But I remember when I had my action figures, and whenever we I would do Survivor Series with them, I would always have an Ultimate Survivor matchup at the end because like I thought yeah. that was the coolest thing out of this show. Besides the gobbledygooker, obviously, I loved the gooker when I was a kid. <laughs> Aside from that, hey, you're not kidding either. I really did, man. I, when I was six, seven years old, I was like, why is – I thought Gobbledygooker was always going to be around. I thought he was going to be there forever. <laughs> I thought he was going to be the new, next Undertaker. Well, who's this dead guy? It's, it's a chicken, man. <laughs> or turkey. Turkey, yeah. So, gobble, gobble, gobble. Yeah, well, know your poultry, kid. <laughs> but it's – Anyway. You know, I think the Gooker uh, is a great place to talk well, about the Undertaker because – it just goes to show how kind of how the Undertaker is almost a fluke and, and almost lucky in yeah. a lot of ways because you know Vince McMahon, as much as we talk about what a genius he is and and how how much he just knows the wrestling business, you got on this pay per view the two parallels of his brain mm-hmm. because yeah. I'm sure he <laughs> thought the gobbledygooker would be just as much of a star and a success as the undertaker would be. You could probably in his brain flip a coin as to which one's going to be the most successful, but you see just two parallels. You know, I'm sure he put as much effort and thought into each and every, into both of those ideas. And one is one of the biggest flops of all time. And one's (laughs) the biggest success of all time. But I mean, easily you've got this, dead man zombie idea that could have easily just has been just another flop pretty much if you put any other person in that role but he just happened upon a guy named mark calloway who was just the perfect person to play this role oh yeah absolutely and if you look i mean you look at that match and even well, even when he comes out there you know they're the announcers were selling it. Oh, this dead man, he's scared. Roddy Piper is over the top of it. Awesome commentary on this show, by the way. But but even when Undertaker gets oh, – we're going to talk about the matches they found it. Yeah, let's just he, dive he, into he, it. He gets yeah. counted out. That's how he loses. He does – I mean, he comes in. He he does the whole no-sell. But nobody's scared of him, though. Like, when he gets in the ring, Bret Hart's not scared of him to start off with him. Yeah. So they weren't selling that whole, like, he's dead, the zombie guy. But, like, they weren't scared of him either, you know? So they weren't really selling it, trying to put him over as this next big thing either. I mean, he does his thing. He knocks everybody around. He he almost kills Coco. Oh yeah, <laughs> drives him on his head. <laughs> Tombstone. I was like, that's dangerous. But uh, <laughs> you know, they weren't. And back then, you know, they weren't playing to the hard camera either. It was kind of neat not yeah. to see them have to turn around all their moves and face the hard camera. But anyway, you know, they're obviously not. They they can't see in the future and see how cool this guy is, and because they're to put him over how dumb he is. You know, and uh, who else is on commentary? It's Man, Gorilla, Gorilla Monsoon, yeah, and Roddy Piper, like, I think. Yeah, real monsters like oh, he's not too bright, he's not very smart because each guy himself counted out. I'm not sure he understands the rules of the match. And uh, you know, at that point nowadays, if someone did that, we'd be like on Twitter, oh, they're burying their talent. But like, yeah, they did. But it doesn't matter because he got that, that gimmick over. You know, contrary to the gobbledygooker, I'm sure Vince, he's gonna come out of an egg. <laughs> he's the gobbledygooker. I mean, you know, that was just a turn to punch bowl, man. It's awful. <laughs> and, uh, yeah, you're right, man. It shows the dichotomy of Vincent Man's brain. And you're right. He probably put as much effort into both. 
he thought kids are gonna love the turkey and uh me scared that man and but um you know it comes down to the performer you know it's not just the idea it's the performer absolutely yeah because you can tell i mean i don't think undertaker cracked a smile at all he he was just no stoic like flat affect the whole time like it was perfect and he was really into it you know um he, he hasn't been wrestling for but a few years. Yeah, he's been a couple I mean, years. I don't remember. Like I've, I guess I've seen a couple of his WCW matches since then. But I definitely, I wasn't familiar with WCW back then. I know you said that was the first thing you ever seen, but I, I was oh, a yeah. WWF guy from the beginning. I, I don't think I saw WCW really till Hulk Hogan debuted because I was just the Hulk Hogan mark big time. And so oh, when yeah, he went to WCW, cool. I started following yeah. WCW then. But I really don't remember watching them much. Uh, before that, so yeah, I was not. I definitely had never seen Mean Mark Callis or whoever he was right. before then. Um, and we're not really gonna dive into his pre WWE career. We're just focus on the Undertaker himself. But yeah, he he had incredible presence. Um, yeah, yeah, that's so, a good word. So the match itself, his debut match, Survivor Series 1990. You've got Dusty Rhodes, Coco Beware. <laughs> The Hart Foundation, Bret Hart and Jim the Anvil against Ted DiBiase and Rhythm and Blues, Honky Tonk Man and Greg Hammer, Boxcar Valentine. What a tag team. <laughs> hair, hair dye from a box. <laughs> Greg Valentine looks... So bad. You know, he looks miserable out there. Uh, I've always loved Greg Valentine because he has looked like he's about 60-something years old since the mid-1980s, and he look, his face looks the same now, just like sour face, just never yep. cracks a smile. Like, I don't know why, man. He just I, always cracks me up. His hair was always great, and I think Triple H tried to get Valentine here back in, like, 2003. <laughs> yeah. Remember that? It was awful. Yeah, I was like, that's like Valentine. But anyway. So apparently was, this was... was on that? Say what? It was Rhythm and Blues, and who else was on that team? Well, it was supposed to be... Well, it was Ted DiBiase, and then supposed to be Bad News Brown, originally. And then oh. uh, he quits the company, quits WWE, so there's a mystery partner coming in, and Ted DiBiase announces... From Death Valley, I give you The Undertaker! <laughs> the Undertaker, the mystery partner, is now revealed! I never heard of him! Oh, oh. Look at the size of that ham hock. Check out them drumsticks, baby. 320 pounds, looks to be 6'9", 6'10", someone in that neighborhood, man. 6'10", six, six, I don't know, it's hard to tell from here. Holy cow. Look at the look on the face. I don't, you think it's his coffee? Doesn't look like he's having a good time. You think he'd steal the ball out of your team? There's only supposed to be four members on a team. This guy makes four and a half, maybe five. Let, look at them eyes. We need a little night-night time here now. Hey, Buckaroo, yeah, look at him. Yeah, he doesn't look friendly. Managed by Brother Love, 320 pounds from Death Valley, The Undertaker. And you just like, they show these crowd shots. Bruce Pritchard, 320 pounds. <laughs> he, he did. <laughs> Sorry, but yeah, he was looking big. He's only like 27 years old, too. And he has really? Was he that young? 
Oh yeah, he was young, super young. Wow. But anyway, yeah, keep going. Sorry to catch well, up. Well, no, I was just gonna say they show these crowd shots, and you know they're big on crowd shots now in WWE. Yeah. They show them like kind of forced like crowd reactions. It seems like, but then. You know, they're like people did not know what to make of this Undertaker guy. You know, they they definitely had characters back then, and you know, you had guys like Big Boss Man and uh, Honky Tonk, Honky Tonk Man, Tugboat, people like that, Ultimate Warrior, even. But <laughs> there really wasn't anything like the Undertaker. No. As he walks out there, he looks like. He could be the bad guy in a horror movie. Like he like walks oh, yeah. straight out of there. He's got the bags under his eyes, and he is just dead on in character. He got it immediately. Oh yeah, I mean it's incredible how he stays. Like I said, he stays with that flat affect face. He doesn't smile. He doesn't. He has no emotion the whole time. He really is like a zombie. You know, he doesn't have any emotion. It was just I was so impressed. You know, I mean I've seen this match before, but. Going back and watching yesterday, I was just like, man, he, he, and Steve Austin always says, I mean, he lived the gimmick and he really did. Like, he, Undertaker was the Undertaker. I mean, Mark Calloway, Callus, whatever you want to call him, he was the Undertaker. I mean, he, he lived it and it was awesome. I mean, it's really cool seeing to see that, you know, the crowd, they don't know what to make of him. They're just, you know, and I remember later matches, you go into the crowd, the kids in the crowd are scared. You know? Oh, yeah. I'm sure we'll get to that later. But, um, yeah, it's just, it's really cool to see how, um, how he just sold that character so well, you know, great. What did you think of uh, Brother Love as his as his manager? I always thought, I mean, it's, it's such a weird thing. Like, I guess he talked. Uh, Pritchard talked about it on his podcast. He kind of had this idea for Undertaker because he wanted to manage somebody and he wanted him to be the opposite right. of Brother Love. Yeah. And um, I guess he he said he he didn't really like being on the road and out there as a manager so that that eventually leads to Paul Bearer coming in but I always just kind of found like I, I don't know if that would have worked as well for Undertaker long term having Brother Love as his manager oh no way not at all and in fact I mean if I, I remember that Brother Love was his was his manager that's one of those like trivia questions you know who was Undertaker's first manager you're gonna yeah. think oh it's Paul Bearer you know um, but no it was Brother Love which is yeah it's strange because in hindsight you're like that doesn't make any sense but yeah I wonder how long it would have gone on, you know, uh, and and how the dichotomy would have changed, and if it would have made the Undertaker, I don't know, maybe it wouldn't have lasted as long if he hadn't had that. Because Paul Bear kind of adds to the, you know, the mystique and the uh, and everything about the the gimmick, you know, especially with a great name like Paul Bear. <laughs> <laughs> like, okay, yeah, <laughs> got it, Vince, got the pun, dude. But uh, yeah, I mean, seriously, he added so much to that mystique and with the urn. I can't see Brother Love. With the red face and the white suit and the ponytail with an urn, you know, and like it just really would have, you know, I don't know. Kayfabe was still alive back then, but I feel like a couple years down the road, it would have been like, really, this doesn't make sense. So, but yeah, it was definitely interesting to see Brother Love out there um, with him. So, and they, I guess he was. I mean, they, you know, we talk about originally he was Kane, the Undertaker, but that's all edited and changed on the network, Uh, and you can go on YouTube and still see. For a couple of weeks afterward, he was still called Kane the Undertaker, and they t- you can find some footage from whatever primetime wrestling superstars where they call him that. But uh, yeah, I don't think that would have worked as well either long term. Just calling him Kane right. the Undertaker. He didn't need a name. He just was the Undertaker. That's, that's enough. It's like yeah. Grave Digger, man. It's like I'm saying, Grave Digger. <laughs> it was awesome. How was there never a Grave Digger Undertaker collaboration? I have no idea. I, I mean, when I was 
five or whatever, I thought that that was an Undertaker's monster truck. I thought Grave Digger, I didn't know. And then I had to, you know, and then because it was Bigfoot and stuff, and there yeah. was a, a Grave Digger, and I thought that was like his monster. I didn't know really until I got older that, oh, that had nothing to do with him. I just put two and two together. So That's a huge missed opportunity to think about monster truck and wrestling fans. I mean, that's probably well, a huge crossover yeah. right there. The Goldberg truck and the NWO truck. And, yeah. I mean, I think, uh, didn't Hulk Hogan push Giant off of the roof of oh, the truck or something? Absolutely. Or they had a truck. He died and came back the next day. Monster anyway, truck sumo yeah. match. Yeah. <laughs> oh, well, that's, that's another podcast. Yeah. Well, uh, you talked about the announcers, Piper and, and Monsoon. And Piper was underrated as an announcer. It was hilarious. <laughs> so here. good. And they're putting Undertaker Monsoon. over huge, too. I know. Yeah, really you did. And then... Like I said, the it kind of made fun of them a little bit. Dumb. Yeah. But, but the, yeah, it, they were really putting him over, man. And just how he, you know, how he was just dominating those guys in the ring. And one thing I do like about this match, um, the new commentary, was just that the guys that got pinned out of nowhere, they really were surprised. Like it didn't, it looked like, it didn't look like two guys in there choreographing stuff, you know? Like it looked like the fight was real, I guess. Nowadays, a lot of it looks like choreography, but um, it actually looked legit, you know? And, when people got rolled up, they got up and they were angry and they didn't kick out of everything. And yeah. it didn't take six tombstones to put Coco Beware away. It took one botched tombstone to put yeah. away. So it was just, it was really cool to go back and watch this. Um, but yeah, commentary put him over huge. And I mean, he's you couldn't ask for a better roster of people to be thrown in with in your debut. Right. Like There's however many Hall of Famers in there. Coco, Dusty, and Hitman, and valentine all these guys it's just and 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 they do a great job like being in there with him uh yeah dusty is just i I wish we could have got like a undertaker dusty Rhodes program and that would have been incredible uh promos have been awesome oh yeah and dusty's looking big out here he's huge man he's huge but he doesn't care he's out there doing it man he still moves around like he's 100 pounds lighter than that, you know? Yeah. He really does. Yeah. He's a good big... So, Undertaker gets his first pinfall in his career over Coco Beware, and um, that's a... Dirty Hall of Famer. Hall of Famer right there. Perfect person to go over in in your first match. And then he gets a pinfall over Dusty Rhodes. I mean, that is... Yeah. You can tell that they had big plans for Undertaker. I don't know if they knew that... You know, just a year later, they were going to make him WWF champion, but they, you could tell they definitely had big, big things in store for this guy to, to put him over those two people in his very first match. Like that's that's big time. I mean, I, I forgot that he pinned Dusty until I was watching. I was like yesterday, I was like, man, I can't believe that. Man, that's a huge, you know, feather in his cap. You know, to have him pin Dusty. Dusty is just an icon. Even in 1990, I mean, he was yeah super duper iconic. You know, it's a big name, so. And he doesn't get Undertaker doesn't get pinned here. He just gets counted out, so he gets protected in that way too. Yep, absolutely. I was, uh, you know, he gets protected. You know, he doesn't take a pinfall because nowadays he he pins my big, and he get pinned immediately afterward because nobody has to get over. (laughs) But uh, yeah, back then they really wanted to put him over, and you know, he didn't. They may call him dumb or whatever, but yeah, he didn't. uh, He didn't lose, so that's that's good. And he just he's not selling anything here. He's just like nope. zombie, just awesome. in the zone. Yeah. Uh, just I, I guess they, they weren't really talking about the whole dead man aspect. I guess they didn't have all right. of the character worked out yet, but he was just you know, he is not <laughs> not selling for anybody here. He, he's not uh, no. 
he knows his role. He knows his position. Uh, what he's supposed to be yeah. doing out there. Yeah, he's not. He's not not selling because he's just green, or he's you know doesn't know how to do it. He's it's part of his gimmick, and it was just it was really cool to see that. Because I remember that's one thing. What you watch that, and we'll talk about it as we continue these podcasts. But he does that. He's always been good at that. You know, the, the no sell when he's supposed to, and uh, you know Steve Austin always talks about if you're going to get Undertaker down, you got to you're going to have to keep him down you know you can't he's not going to sell for you he, he sells what they call sell on the run you know yeah he sells he sells while he's still moving and stuff so it was really cool to see from from day one he just was all into that gimmick and not selling you know like he was supposed to be so yeah really cool yeah overall i thought it was just it, it's like a perfect survivor series match you know it's oh, not yeah. a not a five-star classic or anything but it's just no. it's a fun match to watch especially just uh, it, it's it's a lot different than anything you would watch nowadays. It, it's not. Oh yeah. It it wouldn't work at the G one climax or anything like that. But it is just. No. It's old school wrestling, man. It, it, a bunch of guys who knew exactly what they were doing, who were great at it. You know, it gets to the end and it's Bret Hart and Ted DiBiase. I don't know if you kept watching through the through the whole match. Oh yeah, I watched. It. Yeah, it's so good. Yeah, but their little sequence at the end is is awesome. Too. Uh, they yeah. just kill it, and Bret Hart does a little dive over the top rope. It's the, I mean, those was, are two of the a best. High spot, and like Roddy Piper's like, oh my god, he's jumping over the top! Like yes. he's freaking out. They were loving you know, it. Now you see, yeah, you don't hear that passion anymore. First match on Raw, so uh, yeah, that was cool. And then when he gets he gets pinned out of nowhere, he sits up, and I'm pretty sure he drops a foul language bomb uh cameras right in his face and i was like well like, he sold it like he was legit angry you know that he lost so it was really cool to see that so and just also having him and having bret hart and undertaker in there and you think about six seven years later where their program would take them, right you know, it's just really cool to think about i guess it was the summer of 97 right when before the montreal screw job they were yeah. you know fighting together yeah really cool to see that you know just who knew seven years before that this is where it's gonna head you know? yeah so pretty and- cool Ted DiBiase and, uh, and Undertaker also have some history that they yeah. will get to in a couple years down the line yeah. as well. I have some. You talked about negative five star matches. We got the uh, when Ted DiBiase purchases the Undertaker, and we have two Undertakers against each other. Ooh. Can't wait till that episode. <laughs> yeah. Can't wait. Uh, but yeah, I mean, any other just initial impressions of the Undertaker and his debut performance uh i just really think it, it really is a star making debut yeah there's been oh yeah so many and he, and he comes in cold too there weren't any big vignettes no or anything yeah, like that. that but yeah. it's he is a star after just 10 minutes out, out the there. gate man out the gate yeah absolutely just i mean that's how you make somebody on their first night it was awesome like you said no build up no just a mystery opponent you know he comes out and you know makes himself that night and doesn't get doesn't get pinned doesn't take the pinfall you know which is awesome so yeah they definitely had big plans you could tell like we said so it was really cool to see and I, I wish I wish I'd seen this match when I was four you know and could remember <laughs> you know seeing this match then but um I, I don't remember when the first time I saw this match was probably '97 you know when I was getting back into it so going back and watching everything so um but you know I wish I could remember the first time I ever saw Undertaker and laid eyes on him but you know the date but I do remember he's always just been you know a big presence wrestling and just always been captivating no matter if his matches were you know against mark henry in a casket or if they were the greatest wrestlemania match of all time against Shawn michaels you know so right um doesn't matter he's always been great so 
That's why we're here, talking Taker. That's why we're talking Taker. And uh, we got a lot more to talk about. I guess So the plan is we're going to review uh, all of his pay-per-view matches. Uh, I was thinking we'll, we'll probably skip... Uh, you skip the Royal Rumbles. We we can touch yeah. on. They don't. I don't think they need their own episode. Uh, aside from you know, um, maybe I don't know. But not definitely not the first. We can cover that. But we'll get to his no. first WrestleMania appearance. WrestleMania Seven, the beginning of the streak. Uh, here on our next episode. But and, and you know, if there's major Monday Night Raw matches or, or stuff like that, you know, we can touch on some of those. As well, but we're mainly just going to focus on his pay-per-view career and the different just momentous moments and uh, land landmark moments and, and huge changes through all those different eras and, and touch on the different ways that uh, he changed and he grew as a performer and the way that the wrestling business changed over the, over the past twenty-seven years as well and all the different I mean, like you said at the beginning, this is somebody that competed against Hulk Hogan and Shawn Michaels and The Rock and also competed against Heidenreich and Luther Reigns and yeah Seth Rollins Dean, Dean Ambrose on Smackdown a few years ago you know? yeah. So, yeah yeah he's been there through it all which is crazy to think about so yeah it's awesome yeah well good deal brother anything else you my want brother to... that's a straight shoot yeah, that's a straight shoot man <laughs> any predictions for SummerSlam uh, it's gonna be great, I think. Even though it's got 400 matches on it, it's I, I'm down for that. So I think it's gonna be good, uh, good show uh, all around. I don't know particular who's gonna win what. I don't care. I, I'm just excited about it. I always get excited for the big shows, yeah. even if they wound up stinking. But I think NXT is gonna show them up the night before, just like they always do. So that's um, I'm excited for that too. So. Well, good deal. Well, this has been fun. Let's keep doing it. Absolutely. All right. Thank you guys for listening. Anyone out there who listened to this, uh, let us know any of your memories of The Undertaker as well. What did you think of his debut match and uh, your first memories of The Undertaker? Uh, we are on Twitter at TalkingTaker, T-A-L-K-I-N-G-T-A-K-E-R, at TalkingTaker. Uh, I think I set up a Facebook too. I can't remember. But uh, find us on Twitter. Uh, you can find me on Twitter at AlexDorio, D-O-R-I-O-T, and not Travis. Find me <laughs> Can't at, find him anywhere. Not Travis. Don't don't go at not Travis. That's not me. Oh yeah, that's not I'm him. That's not him. At nothing. I'm not on Twitter. So. <laughs> but I'll I'll spread the message if you if you need to contact. Absolutely. Him. Yeah. Uh, you share it on Facebook. I can share it and stuff. Yeah. yeah there don't. you go. There you I have go. Facebook, and MySpace, and stuff like that. So. Yeah, and we're still working out. The, we're still trying to figure out what exactly this will look like, and uh, we hope that you'll check out the next episode too. So if you want to follow along, you can watch. Uh, WrestleMania 7, that'll be our next episode, The Undertaker against Jimmy, Superfly, Snuka, beginning of the streak. But until then, uh, I guess, rest in peace. Thanks for talking, Taker. Too yeah. sweet, brother. Too sweet. All right. There you go. All right. First Good one stuff. in the body bag. Go back and put that on there. <laughs> <All right. laughs>